Well, this morning we're dealing with the bedrock of Christianity. If you don't get what we're looking at this morning, then you don't get Christianity. And if that's the case, that's okay. Just make sure you come and see me afterwards so that we can help you out. This morning's passage is all about how God saves his people from sin and so Christians don't live for sin anymore. God has saved us from sin, therefore we don't live for sin anymore. It's the bedrock of Christianity. And we want everyone to share in God's salvation. And so if by the end of this talk you don't get it, that's okay, but come and see me afterwards. Now last week in chapter 2, we saw Paul giving lots of instruction on personal godliness, self-control. Remember that? from from last week in chapter 2. Here in chapter 3, the focus shifts from looking after ourselves and our godliness to how we treat others, how we relate to the institutions and the people around us. And basically, Paul says, God saved us. So we're to do good to everyone. Now, how are we meant to do that? Well, the first thing about being good to others is that we're to be subject to those in authority over us. Uh, The people of Crete, where Titus was, Paul wrote the letter to Titus when he was in Crete, Uh, in general, they didn't mind bucking the system. Uh, The the Romans had taken over uh, Crete about 100 years before Paul, and since then the people of Crete had often been involved in insurrections and wars. They were a turbulent bunch of people, with an insubordinate attitude to the Romans, their rulers. And Paul writes into this, telling Titus that he's to teach the Christians there to live in submission to their rulers and authorities. Have a look, verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And of course, this doesn't just apply to the people of Crete at the time. Uh, We too, when it comes to relating to the governing authorities over us, we're to be ready to do whatever is good. In other words, in whatever way the rules of our land promote good, we're to cooperate. Now, if they start promoting evil, well, we're to be ready to do whatever is good. So we're not going to cooperate with evil. But so long as the governing bodies over us don't call on us to disobey God, well, we're to be willingly subject to them, obedient, and not just law-abiding, but ready to do whatever is good, eager, not reluctant. More of this later. In verse 2, Paul moves on to our treatment of everyone around us and that we're to be gentle. Not slanderous or fighting, but considerate of everyone we meet. Verse 2. Remind the people to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Now the emphasis on this verse is on the idea of everyone. See, he says slander no one. Uh, Show true humility toward all men, everyone that we come into contact with. We don't badmouth anybody. We're not the ones who go looking for a fight. Instead, as God's people, we're to be the ones who are gentle and considerate in our dealings with others, forbearing and gracious with everyone. Again, more of this later. 
But for now, the picture that we have is that we're to do good to others by being subject to those in authority over us and to be gracious and gentle to absolutely everyone we come into contact with. It's a picture of doing good to everyone around us. When Christianity first exploded onto the scene in the first few centuries after Jesus, one of the things that stood out to people was the way that Christians lived. In fact, it's been suggested that the way Christians looked after people was one of the big reasons why lots of people became Christians. Uh, They visited fellow Christians in prison. Christians cared for the poor and for the widows and for orphans. Uh, Early on in the Church of Rome, uh, they had a massive amount of people on their payroll. They supported the bishop, 64 priests, 56 assistants, and more than 1,500 widows and needy persons. But they not only looked after each other uh, during famine, pestilence, war or earthquakes, Christians stood out as the people who cared for people. They provided for the poor regardless of whether they were Christian or not. Christians, they did good to all. And lots of people turned to Christ as a result of seeing them in action. And that's the sort of thing that Paul's talking about here in chapter 3. God's people doing good to others, everyone, subject to the authorities over them, showing true humility toward all people. We are to be ready to do whatever is good. Now, why? Well, because God saved us from sin. Before God saved us, we were in slavery to sin, but God saved us from it all, so we don't live for sin anymore. We're devoted to doing what is good. Have a look at verse 3. Now, for some reason, the NIV uh, leaves out the word because at the beginning of verse 3. Uh, verse 3 is the, begins the reason why we're to do verses 1 and 2. So verse 2, remember, is about us being ready to do whatever is good to all people because, verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hated, hating one another. So why are we to do good to all? Well, first... Because before God saved us, we too were sinners, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now you might be sitting there this morning thinking that you've never lived like that. You'd never have described your life as foolish and enslaved. So it's important to note that the Apostle Paul includes himself in this description. He says, at one time, we too were foolish. Paul includes himself in all this. And remember, before God saved Paul, well, he was probably more religious than all of us put together. Uh, Elsewhere, he describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, that with regard to legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. Paul was a religious zealot, the strictest of all churchgoers. And yet he says that before God saved him, He, along with everyone else, was foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. The clean living person, even the clean living church going person, if they're not Christian, then they're foolish and deceived, living as if God is not truly God. 
and they're disobedient and enslaved, rejecting God's rule over them and trapped in such warped thinking, maybe even having the absurd thought that going to church will mean that God will have you in heaven. No, before God saved us from sin, we were deceived and enslaved, trapped in sin. But, have a look at verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, aren't those verses just a breath of fresh air? Incredible and wonderful truth just gushing out at us. Left to ourselves, we're helpless sinners, but God saved us. And the thing to notice in these verses is that our salvation is all God's work. Have another look at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. In kindness and love, the Father sent the Son. Jesus Christ came to save us, verse 5, not because of the righteous things we'd done, not because we're good, not because we deserve to be saved ahead of anyone else, but because of his mercy. He didn't give us what we deserve. Instead, Christ died in our place. He got what we deserve. In kindness and love and mercy, God saved us. Verse 4 again, through the washing of rebirth of the Holy Spirit, poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Saviour. Christ died, came back alive, he did it to save people, and by the Holy Spirit, we've come to share in Christ's saving death and resurrection. By the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness and salvation that comes through Christ has been realised in our lives. And the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts that we no longer want to live in disobedience to God. We no longer want to be foolish. By the Holy Spirit, we're no longer deceived and enslaved to sin. And then in verse 7, Paul says, we have been justified by God's grace. In other words, we've already been declared innocent in God's sight because Christ died for our sins. And God's goal for us in all of this, end of verse 7, is that we would become heirs of God, having the hope of eternal life. Not only saved from a life of sin, but saved from God's judgment on sin. Having the hope of eternal life. In short, these verses tell us that God saved us. A few weeks ago, in our, family, uh, our family was relaxing in our pool. And little Alex was in a swimming ring, and uh, I was beside him, uh, just watching him make, make sure that nothing went wrong. And I turned my head, I reckon, for about three seconds to talk to someone, and the next thing I hear is this splashing of water. And I turn around, and there's Alex floating beside me with his head stuck in the water, thrashing around because he couldn't get his head out of the water. But he couldn't get his head out of the water, and so I pulled him out. It's amazing what can happen so quickly. Now, there's no way Alex could pull himself out of the water, so I'm very glad I was there, and I saved him that day. The only thing Alex did was get himself in trouble by putting his head under the water. 
in these verses, God saved us. The only thing we did was get ourselves in trouble by sin. But at the Father's initiative, by the work of the Son, realised in our lives by the Holy Spirit, God saved us. Not us saving ourselves, not even God saving us because there's something good within us, but in kindness, in love, in mercy and in grace. God saved us from our foolishness and deception and enslavement to sin. And this is something we need to be very clear on. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul wants these things stressed. And what are these things that he wants stressed? Simply, that by ourselves we were trapped in sin, but that God saved us from all of it. And we need to have this stress to us so that those of us who have trusted in God will be careful to devote ourselves to doing what is good. Gore is the name of a young teenage person from Thailand. I think he's a boy. Uh, He has a blog on the internet telling the story of how he became addicted to drugs. And the reason he has the blog is to try and convince other teenagers not to get into drugs. Uh, He says he started out innocently enough, just uh, having one puff because his friends urged him to do it. He didn't plan on doing it ever again. His curiosity was fueled. No need to go back there. But the next day he had some more, and before he knew it, he was addicted. And he became a different person, someone who didn't care for anything except for drugs. His grades at school dropped. He started bullying people for no apparent reason. He began stealing money from his parents, selling their jewellery in order to buy more drugs. He would spend several days and nights away from home, hanging out more and more with his drug friends. Eventually he ran away from home, living with his friends near public toilets. His life was in complete ruin. Now, in the end, Gore finally turned his back on all his drug friends, got cleaned out and off the drugs, but he says he wouldn't have been saved out of drugs if it wasn't for the persistent friendship of one of his old primary school teachers. And so he's written this blog to try and convince others not to get involved in drugs. In one of his final paragraphs, he says, and I quote, I want to finish this series of columns on drug addiction by giving some advice to everyone, first for teenagers. Don't even think about trying drugs. It's much easier to get addicted than you think. And once you are addicted, it's almost impossible to quit. Lots of things won't be the same again, even if you can quit. I want every teenager to learn from my mistakes. You see, once Gore had been saved out of the slavery of drugs, the last thing he wanted to do was to get caught up in it all again. So much so, he was even trying to convince others not to go down the same path. When you've been saved out of something horrible... You don't want to go back there again. For us, we've been saved out of the slavery of sin. We were once foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved, hating and being hated by one another, headed for the judgment of God, but God saved us. And when you've been saved out of something horrible, you don't want to go back there again. 
God saved us from sin. So we don't want to live in sin anymore. Instead, we're devoted to doing good, doing what's best for others. As Paul says it, as as Paul says at the end of verse 8, these things are excellent and they're profitable for everyone. Which is obvious, isn't it? Even the world knows that it's better to do good than to do evil. Think of lots of the movies that you watch. Uh, the hero is usually a good guy, might be wrestling with some issue, but in the end he does what's right. Or kids' movies, they generally have some moral backbone to them about kindness and loyalty Everyone knows that doing good is good, but the world struggles to pull it off. That's why they make so many movies about it, because it's the ideal. It's the utopia that they wish for, but they can't have, because they're still trapped in sin, deceived and enslaved. But God has saved us from sin. Christ died our death for us. God is renewing us by his Holy Spirit, changing our hearts, changing the way we think so that we actually want to be godly now. We're being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good. Now in verses 9 to 11, Paul spends a bit of time dealing with some people who are devoted to doing what's not good for others. They cause divisions and fights and quarrels between people and They stand as a good example of how not to be devoted to what is good. So have a look, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. You see, these people, they're interested in controversies and arguments and quarrels. They're the nitpicky types, just looking for a fight, looking to cause trouble and division. And Paul says it's unprofitable and useless. Not excellent and profitable, unprofitable and useless. And we're not to be like them. Instead, we're to be devoted to doing good to others. As we read in verses 1 and 2, being obedient to those in authority over us and doing good to absolutely everyone around us. So let's put a bit of flesh on those bones. First, what would it look like for us to be devoted to doing what is good in terms of being obedient to the authorities over us? What would that look like? Well, here's just a few examples. Christians, therefore, are people who pay their taxes. We don't cheat on our tax. We don't file untrue statements. We don't fudge the figures in order to reduce our tax. The government requires our taxes. We're eager to pay them. Those in authority over us, they also tell us, don't steal. It's part of the laws of our land. So, for example, we don't steal songs by copying them off our friends. Now, this might be more relevant to those of you who are teenagers than others, but just because your friend has a song that you like doesn't mean you copy it. If you didn't pay for it, you can't have it. As Christians, we're eager to do what is good, so we don't steal. But look, there's heaps of ways, aren't there, that we can be obedient to the government that's over us, like the road rules and a thousand of other things. And you know the little ways that we can quietly ignore the laws of the land, but God has saved us from sin. And so we don't live for sin anymore, which means we're going to be obedient to those in authority over us. 
Then in verse 2, Paul moves on to how we're to treat the people around us and how we're to be good to them. And the first thing he spells out is that we're to slander no one. Now, when it comes to slander, it's usually the people who have wronged us that we feel like lashing out at. Uh, Maybe someone at work. Maybe someone in your family. Maybe someone in the sporting team that you're involved in. Someone somewhere has done the dirty on you and it's tempting to run them down, to, to let other people know what you think of them in order to get people on your side. But where to slander no one? And you know the people in your life that you find it easy to find fault with and where to slander no one. Because God has saved us from sin. So we don't live for sin anymore. And Paul also says that we're to be gentle and considerate. Now maybe this is hardest when you're in a position where you can dominate others. You might be a teacher or in charge at the office or a parent or a grandparent or a leader in your group of school at friends. And we're told here that the way we're to talk to people, the way we're to treat people is to be gentle. Not pushy, not argumentative, gentle. And again, you know the people that you tend to be rough with. Families can be a place where we easily let our guard down, but where to be gentle with everyone. The checkout person at the supermarket, the Mormon that knocks on your door, the people that annoy you, your mechanic, your mum, your dad, your son, your daughter, the people you pass on the street, the other kids at school, other drivers on the road, everyone. We are to be gentle and gracious to all. In the first few centuries of Christianity, the church was known for its kindness. People knew of the help and generosity of Christians. People noticed Christians. People were attracted to Christianity because of the good things Christians did. Do you reckon that's true today? Because God saved us from sin. So we don't live for sin anymore. Now, do you get that? This is the bedrock of Christianity. God saved us from sin. So we don't live for sin anymore. If you don't get that, that's okay. But please come and see me afterwards so we can help. Because as we've seen, this is something we need to be very clear on. Because at one time, we too were foolish. But when the kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. This is a trustworthy saying. And it is to be stressed so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your salvation, that you sent your Son to die, that we might be saved, that you've poured out your Spirit upon us, washed us clean and given us new hearts, that we might live for you. Father, help us, those of us that have trusted in you, to understand that you have saved us from sin, that we would not live for it anymore, but instead that we would be careful 
to devote ourselves to doing what is good, gladly living for you, doing what's best for everyone around us. Amen.